Hey there, we're the West Slot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, today we are previewing the opening game on the Northwestern schedule as we uh, head down to West Lafayette for a very early uh, Thursday night game. Uh, it's the earliest I can ever remember Northwestern starting conference play. Uh, but with that scheduling thing we got going on, that's going to be more and more of a pattern. But uh, Purdue, a team that really, you know, Jeff Brom goes in there last year and Turned it around a lot faster than we thought they would have. Um, you know, John, defensively, they were m- way more impressive than I thought they'd be. Well, for all the talk about Jeff Brom's arrival in West Lafayette, uh, the real thing everyone should be saying is all hail Nick Holt. Um, because that was their new defensive coordinator last year, and he was the true revelation. Um, Holt his you know over the past decade or so is about as well traveled as it gets in terms of a guy who's bounced around DCing in a lot of places but he does have a lot of big game experience at USC and Washington on his resume and it evidently made a huge difference at Purdue although no one could possibly have predicted that Holt would accomplish what he did um what Holt did was manufacture the number 8 scoring defense in the Big 10 and the number 10 total defense now This may not sound like much, but you have to understand just how much Purdue's defense sucked in 2016. The Boilermakers had the worst scoring defense in the conference, the second worst total defense, and the second worst run defense. They fielded the number eight pass defense uh, in, in terms of yards given up only because teams never even bothered to throw against a team that was so ridiculously easy to run on. So with all of that said, The change Holt produced in 2017 was remarkable. What Holt was able to do was understand where his defense's bread was buttered. He took the few impact players Purdue had, and he put them in a position to be as productive as possible. Holt knew that his secondary was going to be a real issue, and that if he had and that he had little, if any, way to rush the quarterback. What Holt did have was an impact defensive tackle in Gellin Robinson and a capable group of linebackers led by Marcus Bailey. So what Holt basically did was build a defense that protected his backers, rolled his safeties into the box, and sold out against the run. And amazingly, it worked. The big X factor in this equation was the out-of-nowhere emergence of linebacker Jawan Bentley. In his senior year, Bentley went from a mediocre Big Ten linebacker to a fifth-round New England Patriots draft pick. Him, Bailey, and Robinson combined for an insane 35 tackles for loss and 9 sacks. Uh, Holt got another 9 tackles for loss out of linebacker Danny Ezechukwu, who is currently in Eagles camp. So again... This system was based on selling out against the run, even though Purdue had lousy cornerbacks. The Boilermakers were torched through the air last year. They had the second worst pass defense in the conference, but they benefited early on from the element of surprise against the run. And you have to admit, Holt polished some real gems in the front seven. So how does that, how do we pivot forward to 2017? Well, a lot of that talent is gone next year, chiefly Robinson, Bentley, and Ezechukwu. 
So the question then becomes, how talented were all of those guys really? Was the leap Bentley and Ezechukwu made aided by Holt's coaching or by the fact that they had so much in-the-box protection or luck or some combination of all three factors? Are there more players who are going to make a similar leap to what these guys did last year? Is that magic even replicable? So, Purdue still has Bailey, which is a great start for them at linebacker. He'll be expected to be one of the top linebackers in the Big Ten. They also have a solid defensive tackle in Lorenzo Neal, which, can we hit pause for a second and reflect on how awesome it is that Lorenzo Neal has a son who's a 315-pound defensive tackle in the Big Ten? (laughs) Just amazing. Fantastic. Um, But, when you add that up, That's a grand total of two impact players. The Boilers do also have former walk-on safety Jacob Thieneman, who basically functioned as a fourth linebacker last year and was the team's second leading tackler. But that's it. But remember, two impact players was exactly what Purdue had going into last year, coming off a horrific 2016. So can Holt work his magic again? I would say the forecast is a little cloudy. Um, From the get-go this season, teams are going to throw on Purdue first and run second. For Purdue not to regress defensively, they're going to have to be able to get to the quarterback. So Holt got 13 sacks out of his starting linebackers last year, but he's going to have to find at least one impact defensive lineman to keep Purdue from getting smoked. The Boilers are breaking in two new corners, although, again, that doesn't mean much because the previous group was awful. Again, though, um, in the grand scheme of things for Purdue, a repeat performance or even a slight regression is a big win. Holt is definitely playing with house money right now, and he definitely made chicken salad last year. As it pertains to Northwestern, I mean, I would say this is one of these ones you could put squarely on Clayton Thorson um, to start the season. There's a chance he may be as healthy at the start of the season as he is at any point during the season. And uh, Purdue is going to roll everyone up and try to make him beat them through the air. Um, I would say we've got the talent to do it, but, you know, we're going to kind of have to seize the momentum right away. So, because offensively, um, Purdue was real exciting. I mean, they that... That was an offense that was fun to watch, and you got to give a lot of credit to Jeff Brom on that. Um, what what should we expect from uh, this team, especially with you know so many different possibilities, even just at the quarterback position? Yeah, it was exciting last year, and I think if you were a Boiler fan at some point last year, you said to yourself, "Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in." <laughs> um, I mean, Purdue's got expectations again, right? Like Jeff Brome walks in like Sheriff Bart, and all of a sudden it's uh, it's a new world. So um, this is crazy. If he notches, you know, when he notches his second win this season, he will match the win total that uh, Daryl Hazel had in his entire tenure at Purdue. Wow. Yeah, um, that's how bad Purdue were. What's really interesting is that, you know, coming, so coming into the first year of Brome, we talked about how his Western Kentucky teams, you know, they threw the ball around like crazy. They went up tempo. They tried to throw the ball like 90 times a game. Um, but when we looked at, you know, how Purdue's offense kind of broke down, we surmised that they wouldn't look very different in 2017 compared to the last year of the Hazel years because they were already throwing so much, namely because they were behind by like 30 points in every game. 
Uh, we also told you that uh, Jeff Brom loves to run out of passing sets. He did that a lot at Western Kentucky. It's kind of reminiscent of Kevin Wilson's offense. Well, in 2017, Purdue threw 66 fewer passers than in 2016. It's about a 12% decrease. And they had 10, uh, 10. They had like 100 more rushing attempts. Sorry, I wrote down 10 in my notes. Uh, interestingly, the overall production and efficiency of their offense didn't really change. Like scoring, yards per play, etc. cetera. Uh, it was all pretty consistent, which is really surprising because I think to all of our minds, like Purdue was terrible on offense the last several years. But the big difference was turnovers. They went from minus 17 to plus 4, primarily from having the QBs really lower their interception rate. Now, in 2018, um, some are expecting and thinking that Brome's offense is going to more closely resemble the one he had at Western Kentucky and that that might make up for some of the losses and turnover on the defensive side. That offense at Western Kentucky scored like 40-plus points a game, and they were absurd. Um with nine starters returning on offense, you know, maybe that's plausible. I think, you know, obviously another year to install his system, it kind of makes sense. So here's a couple reasons. I'm going to tell you a couple reasons why that might happen, and I'm going to tell you why it's not going to happen. Um, so first of all, in Purdue's favor, the O-line is really solid. Uh, they only lose one starter, and they get six foot seven left tackle Grant Hermans back from injury. Uh, they don't have, like, a ton of pedigree in their O-line, but they've got a lot of career starts. They've got a grad transfer from Western Kentucky coming over and Dennis Edwards. Obviously, he knows the Brom routine, so they're really solid on that front. Uh, Purdue seems to always have good running backs. I mean, at least good running backs for Purdue. Like, this is not the Ohio State backfield, but Markel Jones is in the final year of what has been a pretty good career, albeit one that was marred by a lot of injuries. Uh, last year, Terry O'Fuller played in the first three games in Jones's place. Uh, it looked pretty darn good. He he was lost to injury himself thereafter. Um, Richie Warship is still 260 pounds and terrifying in short yardage. He averaged five yards per carry and led the team with three TDs last season. Uh, and then DJ Knox, another decent recruit uh, who was solid in a backup role, averaged 6.2 on the ground. So they've got a solid core uh, at running back, um, a lot of a lot of pieces they can play with. They also add a really well-regarded freshman, a burner in Rondale Moore. Uh, there, there's I've seen some uh, some outfits list him as a wide receiver, so he could be playing a bit of a dual role. We'll see what happens. Uh, the wide receivers are a bit of a mixed bag. The top two from last year are gone, but the unit overall is much more experienced than in Brome's first season. Uh, Jackson Anthrop uh, led the team in number of receptions, and he becomes kind of the top dog this season. The big question is who could be a downfield threat. Uh, Anthony Mahungao led the team with 700 yards, 8 uh, eight TDs, and a 17.2 yards per catch average last year, and nobody was even close to those numbers. Um, the tight end, Cole Herdman, was, was like had a lot of, uh, of long-distance catches, but just not the volume to, to, to really be a threat. Uh, there's also nobody that was close to Anthony's 6'3 height um, in the likely wide receiver rotation. They do have a, a 6'5 true freshman in Corey Taylor, but that is not a super highly rated guy, so he probably needs some development work, and I don't think he's going to come in and, and hit the ground running. So uh, overall, more experience at wideout, but lacking kind of that signature threat that, that a lot of teams, you know, even Purdue teams have had in the, in the last few years. So here's why I'm really skeptical that this offense is going to look any different in 2018, and that's that the quarterbacks are the exact same guys. It's maybe not a totally bad thing. Um, so David Blau, Blau like Plow, uh, was a big-time recruit, 
He's gotten a lot better uh, throughout his throughout his career. He he was he dramatically decreased his interception rate last season uh, by about I think like thirty percent. Uh, he gets sacked way too often. He runs way too often, uh, but he improved his accuracy and his yards per attempt last year as well. He got injured, and uh, Elijah Sindelar stepped in for, for roughly the last four games or four or five games. Um, Sindelar, interestingly, we talked about this last season, was a, was a Brome recruiting target when Brome was still at, at Western Kentucky. He apparently played with a torn ACL the last three weeks of the season, um, but overall he was pretty decent. He had an 18-7 to 7 TD to pick ratio, uh, 57% complete, completion, and he won three of the last four games, uh, including the bowl game against Arizona. Guess who he lost to? <laughs> um, the ways in, the way the season ended up based on how those guys played uh, I would probably go with Sindelar as a starter this year I know Phil Steele thinks that I think um, uh, Bill Connolly thinks that but here's the rub at 57% completion and 7 yards per attempt he is miles away from the quarterbacks uh, that Brome had at Western Kentucky in 2016, Brom's last year there, Mike White was 67% completion and 10 yards per attempt was his average. That's absurd. Uh, in fact, Brom never had a quarterback at Western Kentucky that completed less than 67% of his passes. And I just don't think Sindelar is that type of guy. Now, while Blau has better accuracy, his decision-making just makes him a worse quarterback overall. Even though he lowered his pick rate uh, quite a bit from two years ago, it's still not great. Uh and then the other thing, you know, I think with two serviceable and experienced QBs, like, again, these guys aren't bad. I just don't think that they can elevate this offense. But they're they're very reasonable players to play. I can't imagine that Brom would turn to one of his young QB recruits. Um, uh, there's a guy, Nick Sipe, who, who was on the team last year, and then true freshman Jack Plummer. No relation to Jake Plummer, I might add, even though he's from Arizona. It's very confusing. Um, so, you know, overall, this offense could get a little bit better with more time in the system, better O-line, more, you know, depth at running back and receiver. Uh, but I just, I, I think the overall production is going to stay pretty much the same. They're going to be somewhere in the 25 to 28 points a game. They're going to run the ball a lot. Um, I, I actually think you might see them lean on the running game even more in 18, uh, especially with the losses on defense. They've got a much tougher schedule to strategy would probably make sense to keep other offenses off the field. Um, I think for NU, that'd be a pretty much a net positive. Uh, and interestingly, if they do like kind of play a bit more conservative on, on offense in that way, the, the interesting benefit might be that Brome sticks around for another year, given the expectations. And, and that might just not, you know, enthuse other uh, schools that are looking to maybe pick him off. Well, he's probably going to want to stick around another year because the year after this coming year, Hunter, Hunter Johnson's going to be... Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's run down the Purdue schedule. I mean, we talked about the opener at home against Northwestern, uh, followed by Eastern Michigan. Uh, they get the second... Uh, bleh, they follow up last year's absolute drubbing uh, at Missouri with a... Return trip from the Tigers, so the Tigers looking to avenge that uh, just butt whooping last year. Uh, Boston College is their homecoming game on September 22nd. Then they travel to Nebraska. They get their bye. They go to Illinois, home for Ohio State, at Michigan State, home for Iowa, at Minnesota, home for Wisconsin, and at Indiana. A uh, couple couple things I, I just wanted to point out. What's interesting, um, you've got 
kind of the top tier teams in the the Big Ten West. You call that maybe Northwestern, Iowa, and Wisconsin. All three of those are at home. They get Ohio State at home. Not that it's going to matter. Um, and you know, Indiana. We we t- we've talked about already in our uh, no plays. But uh, you know, this is a. I, I it's hard to really you know at least from where I'm sitting, it's hard to really put a finger on what to expect from Purdue. It, they don't have the element of surprise with Brom anymore. Everyone now has tape on them. And, you know, is is it, are they going to be able, you can't necessarily expect them to make a similar leap, like from what they did two years ago to what they did last year. This, this to me, this is the early favorite for most interesting schedule in the conference. Um, there are at least eight winnable games on here for Purdue. That could go either way. Um, the schedule. There's a scenario where they're six and zero playing Ohio State. It would not take that much of a stretch for that to happen. Um, it's all on w- exactly what kind of team Purdue's going to have this year. Which, based on everything I said and everything Scuzz said, sounds very murky. Um, but it's their schedule's so front loaded, and I mean, like. They've got Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Michigan State on their schedule. And, I mean, Iowa at home? Is that the next hardest game? Northwestern at home? I mean, those are the two. I mean, I mean, obviously, our game is huge for them. Um, because if, if they do, if they were to beat us and looked good doing it, uh, 6-0 and is a very possible start for them. Um, there's not a lot there. Um, and then, you know, like, you know, where do they stack up against Iowa? Um, but again, it, it all is like, what is here for this team? I mean, Scuzz was saying they seem, you know, they might be hamstrung by the ceiling of their quarterback play. Um, it's possible that their defense regresses a little bit. It's totally possible that happens. So I don't know. I mean, there's, there's so many ways this could break. I I just made the comment a second ago that I think their schedule's a bit, I said much harder this year, and I, I think I'll stand by that. Um, the non-conference, that's not true. They trade Louisville for Boston College. That is n- not much of a trade, <laughs> um, really beneficial for Purdue. But the other big trade is they trade a game at Rutgers for a game at Michigan State. Like you could call Ohio State and Michigan kind of one for one, and then they keep Indiana on the schedule in terms of their crossover games. But losing Rutgers, I mean, and they, they lost to Rutgers last year, everybody. They lost at right. Rutgers as a nine-point favorite. That was um, for sure the low point of oh my God. the season. <laughs> but the, the other kicker is while a lot of their hard games are at home, they have five conference road games. And, you know, Illinois, Illinois ain't that hard of a place to play. Nebraska has got certainly a lot of turnover problems, et cetera, at Minnesota, at Indiana. Like, these are winnable games, but it's still five road games in conference. Yeah, I I mean again this it could it could play out so many I mean I I believe they're I mean they, right it's road games against Illinois, Minnesota and Indiana. I think Purdue's the better team in all of those games, but they've got to go on the road. Um and I mean uh you you got you got to wonder. I mean Nebraska not and not not to step on future pods, but you can totally love Nebraska in that group as well. <laughs> Uh, but it's, it's fascinating. Like I, 
Like their to me their ceiling to me is nine wins. Their floor is probably four. I mean, I, and I have no idea where they're gonna end up. Yeah, and I'm thinking like of the teams that we're gonna uh, preview. This one has the biggest variance between floor and ceiling, in, at least in my eyes. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, for me, I'm gonna kind of go right down in the middle and and predict seven and five here. I think. I think they lose to to Northwestern. I'm assuming Clayton Thorson is healthy. That's obviously a really big wild card, but uh, our defense has handled this this team on offense, these players on offense, uh, a couple years in a row now, and I just I I don't I don't see that being a problem for us. Um, the non-con they should sweep. I I'm going to call at Nebraska probably a loss, and then wins at Illinois, at Minnesota, and at Indiana, and maybe they knock somebody off at home in Iowa. Uh, maybe they, they get that Nebraska win and end up 7-5 and five with an option with, with, with the chance to win an eighth game in a bowl. That's uh, one better than last season. Yeah, I guess I'm somewhere between 6 and 7. After saying that the ceiling is 9, it is. I mean, I, it's if Brahm's able to put something together here, um, I do think people sometimes forget it's it really is possible that last year's defense that they really had something special that is not going to replicate itself this year um and if that's true they're going to be in trouble and also scuzz mentioned this team had a lot of turnover help last year um that they didn't have the year before and that tends to be a red flag so i don't know i'll i'll say 6 and we'll see what happens so same as last year yeah now, Scuzz, would you be surprised if they went nine and three? Yeah, because that would mean so that would mean probably knocking off us, which I I can plausibly believe winning that Iowa game and winning at Nebraska. It would basically mean losing to only the three big guns on the on the schedule: Ohio State, Michigan State, and Wisconsin. That would that would surprise me, given the the loss. If they had last year's D and this year's offense, I could believe it. But um, I just I. It, it it doesn't feel like they've got enough coming back um, to build to make that kind of a leap. And would you be surprised if they were three and nine, or four and, or four and eight? Yeah, because I think they're better than that lower than that lower echelon. I think they're better than Illinois and Minnesota and Indiana, like John said. I I, I feel pretty strongly about that. They've like they've they've got a quarterback. None of those teams do. But conceptually, I mean, Missouri is. Probably going to be better than they were last year. I mean, they're they've got a potential first round quarterback uh, helming them, and BC is you know not a pushover. I mean, their their non con is not filled with cupcakes. At least, I mean, those are legit non conference games. I mean, like I don't disagree that those schools are. Those programs are good, but like they played Drew Lock last year, and he only scored three points. Uh, Drew Lock got a lot better as the season went on. Missouri got a lot better as the season went on. I mean, hey, I, I mean you got to give credit where it's due. I mean, I but again, I you know as I talked about, Missouri more than anybody else got ambushed by that Nick Holt defense. Um, they no one thought Purdue's defense was going to be that good, and uh, and Missouri kind of ran right into it. Yeah, I think I think Drew Lock um, really loaded up on crappy teams. He threw for 500 at Missouri State, um, 355 at Kentucky, 475 against Idaho, 408 against Connecticut, 
448 at Arkansas. That's maybe the most impressive thing. He didn't get over 250 in any other game. I just, I don't know. That feels like a bit of a paper tiger. Pun intended, right? (laughs) I will say, I think Purdue's, they've, They've put themselves in the best possible position in terms of whether this was planned or it just worked out this way. I mean, their first six games are all winnable. Two, the arguably the two toughest are at home at night, um, and they they put themselves in a fun situation. I think if you're a Purdue fan, you've got to be pretty stoked, um, and you're you're definitely f- t- tuning in to an extent that you probably haven't since the Joe Tiller era. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for our Purdue preview. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Pirates. You can call our voicemail line at 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And leave us a... Bleh. And send us an email, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scousball, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.